Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice for fans and followers of the most prestigious league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the On3 Network alongside my great friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Beard, College Football Analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a voter in the race for the biggest honor in collegiate football, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, it has been a while uh, and even with that understanding, uh, it seems like it's been even longer since we last joined up here on Second Helping because, you know, a few things have happened of note yeah. in the college football world, starting right there in the Southeastern Conference, really starting right there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, after the Crimson Tide loses to Michigan in the Rose Bowl in a semifinal game of the college football playoff. Michigan, to its credit, goes on, wins the national championship over Washington in the CFP title game. But the biggest news, no doubt, the retirement of Nick Saban after 17 seasons at the University of Alabama, seven national titles between his time at LSU and UA. What is it? 11 SEC titles, I think nine of those at Alabama, just mm. incredible numbers. First, let's let's put it in perspective, just in terms of the impact he had on college football, because people tend to overlook the fact that did a pretty good job at Michigan State, but obviously LSU and then even more so Alabama, of course, just the legacy he leaves. Being the greatest uh, of all time uh, is, uh, and to see someone with that mantle on him uh, to retire, I think, I think Travis, he he decided that he didn't want things to end like Bobby Bowden did, uh, and and obviously we're close to Florida State in proximity. And also remember that time to where Bowden went too long, unfortunately. Now, he will be always thought of as one of the greats, too. But they really struggled to uh, develop players and to recruit. Jimbo was there, and people were wondering when that was going on um, and when that was going to happen. I think Saban saw a lot of that. uh, in, in his mind, um, I'm, I'm sure that the, uh, the the new issues with NIL and trans, transfer portal and such as that had a lot to do with it. But, he, I mean, he got out on his own terms. He got out at a probably uh, an incredible time, frankly. And I think beyond all the wins and all the championships, the, the number of people, and I'm curious if you heard this too, uh, in the media and otherwise, uh, that since he's retired, that, that have said, knowing him uh, and experience what he did changed my life. I, I heard that over and over again. How many people can say that they've changed people's lives? And Travis, even beyond... Uh, and this is something I don't think it got enough credit, and, I, and I'm going to probably be off on the numbers, but when he got there, there were 20,000-something students in Alabama 
when he left, there were uh, nearly 40,000. Um, and it, it's little things like that that made such a difference um, in uh, what he did in the impact that he had. And you and I have talked about this for years, um, and I still maintain he for what he did and his impact on people and Tuscaloosa and the university, I, I, I would still argue that he was woefully underpaid. Yeah, the impact, you could have essentially paid him from about three or four different entities, including the state of Alabama in general. True. Of course, the University of Alabama, public university. So I guess you could go ahead and make that connection between the two yeah. right there. But incredible, the Sabanomics, as I've often referred to it as, the economic impact to both the University of Alabama, the state of Alabama, uh, the region in, a, in general in some ways. And so uh, we think about some of the guys, as you outlined, that maybe stayed around too long. And I'll say this for Bobby Bowden, and I've used him too, is sort of a comp in terms of, unfortunately, legends who essentially had to be told it was time to move on. Yeah. Um, I think if Robert Kleckler Bowden was around in this era of college football, like Nick Saban was experiencing here at the end of his career, I'm not sure Bobby would have needed a nudge to get out. Yeah, I like yeah. to think that if Bobby Bowden was dealing with NIL and dealing with the transfer portal and everything else now that is on the plate of college football head coaches, perhaps Bobby would have said, you know what, I'm out of here and, yeah. and done it maybe without needing to be told in a lot of ways uh, that it was time to go. And you know what else? Maybe something else that benefited Saban was that he didn't have – um, you know, a family member involved. You know, that was that was tough yeah. for Bobby. He had people counting on him, not That's just right. in terms of staff, but family that were staff sure. at Florida State. So I'm sure that kept him uh, connected in, in ways, too. So with the move to retirement for Nick Saban, here comes Kalen DeBoer. Let me ask you real quickly, because we got so many things to get into, but obviously this is right at the very top of the list. Um your initial reaction uh, when it became clear that the former Washington and Fresno State head coach was on the fast track to become the successor to the greatest to ever do it? The candidate pool was not real deep uh, this year for one reason or another, but really had uh, been impressed with DeBoer and what Washington has done under him and what they did this year and also with his staff, um, and I've talked to many people about this in the media and otherwise, that he probably was the best candidate out there for uh, to, to have the chance. And again, no one's going to replicate what Nick Saban has done, but to be able to go in there in Alabama and have success early on, uh, with this staff in the way that he obviously deals with players. Um, I'm I, I, not saying he will be, but Travis, I, I, I think he's got a real opportunity uh, to be successful in Alabama if folks will uh, relax and, and realize change is coming and allow him to do what he needs to do. Now, come on, Brent. 
We're talking about the Alabama fan base here. <laughs> and you just used R-E-L-A-X with the Alabama faithful. We both been around long enough now, Brent, to know that that's borderline impossible. <laughs> what I will say about that is this. I agree. I think of the candidates, the realistic candidates, not just in terms of the potential for immediate success, but big picture success. DeBoer made probably the most sense there at the end. So, and also sustainability is in place. I know Alabama, like so many other places, been hammered by the transfer portal. Caleb, yep. uh, Caleb Downs moves on to Ohio State. Julian Sand moves on to Ohio State. Seth McLaughlin moves on to Ohio State. Isaiah Bond moves on to Texas. Amari Nyblack moves on to Texas and others. That's before we really talk about the defensive side of the ball more in depth than say just Caleb Downs because their secondary was hammered. Uh, But they also bring in one of the better defensive backfield signing classes that I can recall. They bring in a transfer, at least one from the PAC 12 in Domani Jackson at corner from USC. So it's set up. I'll say this for Saban too. He didn't run that thing to a point where it's not just the expectations that are going to continue to be high, but the realistic expectations, I think, can still be high for Alabama yeah. football moving yeah. forward because Saban did leave it relative to today's game and how the rules are set up and how player movement works in about as good a shape as he could have. I don't think there's any doubt, too, uh, Trav, of, of all that he did uh, with the facilities. Uh, I mean, he said one of his main goals years ago when he leaves is that he leaves the program in a lot better shape than when he got there. Uh, and, and again, beyond the success that he had on the field, what he did in terms of uh, um, uh, not only the facilities, uh, and I think there are a lot of things he did that we will never know about, such as probably getting players uh, jobs uh, in the real world and also with other schools and have and, and them having some success. Um, and it's also going to be fascinating to see what he does um, beyond just television. I, I, I could see him. People want to use the word czar, um, and that's certainly not something he'd want to hear. But I think his influence and in getting some kind of guardrails, if we can use that word, uh, to or 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 some common sense into where we are in football today, uh, Trev, I think he'll be very instrumental if people will listen to him and helping there. So when we look at the rest of the SEC, very much a second-tier situation in the wake of the Nick Saban news, uh, we've had obviously some changes uh, around the Southeastern Conference. Uh, At the head coach level, Jeff Lebby comes to mind quickly at Mississippi State, putting together a staff there in Starkville. And then just at the assistant and coordinator levels around the SEC, uh, a continuation of Uh, of a lot of change um, and a lot of places where it's a big off season for some head coaches in this league, man, Sam Pittman, Billy Napier, 
you know, those are names that come to mind pretty quickly. I think Shane Beamer, after the 2023 season, things mm-hmm. might be getting sped up on him a little bit. We'll see. Yeah. I think he overall done a nice job there in Columbia. Uh, but just talk about the league and how it sits now with Saban moving on to retirement. And then the, the, the kind of the landscape uh, of the league as it sits right now from a coaching perspective. Uh, I'll give you a um, an example of uh, uh, a school that really wants to go to the next level, and I, I think right now that would be LSU. And mm-hmm. that, and again, there are still rumors out there um, that if Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan, would Kelly be interested? I, I probably think Michigan's going to promote from within. Um, and make that a, a smoother transition for them. But one thing that's really caught my eye, and I'm sure it's caught yours, is LSU's defense was absolutely abysmal. And Kelly, to his credit, has decided to do something about that uh, by hiring Blake Baker from Missouri, who did a, a really incredible job. Corey Raymond is back as... Uh, on that defensive staff, and the guy most of all that caught the people's attention uh, is Bo Davis coming over from Texas, arguably uh, the best defensive line coach in the nation. So, uh, Trav, I, of, of all the schools that want to and, and are thinking, man, we may have an opportunity now uh, to, to, to be able to go on a run ourselves, I'm just wondering, could we say LSU is one of those uh, as evidenced by what Kelly is trying to do to fix this defense? I don't think there's any doubt about that. That was totally unacceptable. And understanding they had injuries and some situations maybe beyond the control, even from a staff perspective, an illness there uh, on the defensive staff was important for sure. I think Ole Miss is one of those places, too. And maybe even more so than LSU because of the activity we've seen from Lane Kiffin in the way of the transfer portal once again. Trey Amos, the corner from Alabama, among those making the move. Walter Nolan, the defensive lineman from Texas A&M, making his way um, to Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss lost some guys, too. Quinshawn Judkins going to Ohio State is a part of the Buckeyes' massive transfer portal hall. uh, Certainly stands out among those. But the one thing I like about Ole Miss more than I like about LSU for 2024 and for Lane especially because he couldn't beat the old man, maybe he would have more success against Kalen DeBoer, is that Alabama isn't on that Ole Miss regular season schedule. So I know if you're LSU right now, you're thinking, yeah, Alabama's on our schedule, but Nick Saban ain't. You know, so there's a difference there. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think Auburn too, Brent. What do you think about that? There seems to be, at least in terms of perception, this momentum that is accumulating there under Hugh Freeze, even with the disappointing end to the 2023 season, getting shellacked by Maryland in the bowl game to cap that. Uh, the recruiting effort here recently for Auburn. Uh, and just the, the, the viewpoint that, that maybe that program starting to, to tick upward. Yeah, uh, and, and I think that a couple of important things for Auburn are going to be uh, 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 what do they do at 
uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I think that's going to be huge for them. DJ uh, Durkin, who has certainly been around the league, he was at Florida at A&M. Uh, Durkin is kind of emerged as, as a possible um, uh, defensive coordinator for them. Um, I, I think the, the other thing that's come up is the decision um, by Hugh Freeze to get rid of Philip Montgomery and take over play calling duties. Unfortunately, he threw the offensive staff under the bus a- after the, uh, the the loss to Maryland in the <laughs> boat game, uh, at which that may come back to haunt Hugh at some point. But but I'll tell you right now, uh, uh, to me, their 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 season is going to hinge on two situations. It's going to be uh, uh, the, the the defense getting better and and uh, what do they do uh, at quarterback? I, I know Freeze is kind of poo-pooed getting a lot of, of guys in the transfer portal. I understand they got Jordan McLeod from James Madison, or at least that's in the works. But, but Trav, I, I'm not convinced Peyton Thorne is their answer at, at, at quarterback and a guy who can take them where they want to go. Yeah, that's going to be the big question. I think that came to the forefront once again in the bowl game because there had been sort of this reassurance from Hugh and with Peyton Thorne that they were good with Thorne at quarterback for 2024. But, boy, watching that bowl game against Maryland, and I know, as you said, Hugh kind of took the rest of the coaching staff to, to task for how that performance unfolded in Nashville. Uh, it wasn't confidence-inspiring, I guess. No. Speaking of confidence-inspiring, what are we to make of Billy Napier going into this massive year three in Gainesville? What is the seat temp for Billy Napier as we move into late January? Well, I, I, I still think it's warm, uh, frankly. And, and as you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, you, you've got a combination of a very uneasy fan base. Uh, now, I think they are um, a little bit relieved because that they've seen Jameer Grimsley come from Alabama to uh, Florida, the defensive back. Uh, they've got a couple of guys in DJ Lagway and LJ McCray, who in the 24-7 sports um, top 100, those two guys are in the top four. Uh, and they've got some 2025 guys, a Georgia commit, Elise Williams, who is visiting. He's a tight end. Also, and in, in, uh, boy, speaking of uh, legacies, um, and the, the, C.J. Ingram is a quarterback at Hawthorne. His father is Cornelius Ingram, who Travis and I remember very well, uh, frankly. So, I mean, they have done some. Uh, to bring some some decent players in, some of them from smaller schools, which scares Gator fans. But I, I'm and but Trav, the thing that concerns me uh, for Florida is this real need uh, to bring in an offensive coordinator and also a special teams coordinator that is yet to be done. I'm not saying it won't. Uh, and then you've got this NCAA investigation because of the 
Jaden Rashada uh, situation that that is going on. Um, now, what I have heard is the possibility of, and, and this this would affect a lot of coaches, would be uh, it's slow in getting coordinators because a lot of these guys, and we've seen this evolve over the years, they want a guaranteed two- or three-year contract. Uh, and if you've got a guy who is um, uh, maybe out before Halloween, if this thing goes sideways, I hope it doesn't. Uh, but, but if it but if it does, um, could that be a real factor in keep keeping people away from Florida and, and maybe some other schools with a coach under the gun? Yeah, if I was an assistant or a coordinator in that situation, it'd have to be three years right yeah. now in the really? current climate of college football. Not just in terms of the uh, volatility where the head coach position is concerned because they'll fire you in a heartbeat, as we know. And the head coach is going to get tens of millions of dollars, it sure. seems like, more and more in a buyout situation. So if I'm an assistant or a coordinator and then you include also the workload because of the transfer portal, because of roster management, because of uh, everything that goes into trying to keep your roster at a championship caliber 365 days out of the year. I'm going to need three years. Yeah, I'm going to need three absolutely. years or I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get to the National Football League yeah. where my quality of life will yeah. instantly be better than right. what it will be as a assistant or a support staffer too. I mean, these support staffers, we talk so much about the on the field coaches, at least they're making, you know, half million plus in sure. the sec with two or three year contracts. You got these support staffers. They're basically week to week making less than a hundred grand a year yeah. and putting in those same type of hours and that same type of, workload so as we think ahead never too early right to the 2024 season some early games maybe in the 2024 campaign that you already have your eyes on certainly with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the south southeastern conference the the possibilities expand even more Brent week one week two heading into mid-September some early games, some early lines, maybe from Vegas that have caught your attention. Amazing that, uh, and and listen, uh, Trav, how difficult would it be right now, a uh, to put lines on games, uh, <laughs> uh, and b uh, something near and dear to my heart uh, is uh, if you're Trav. If you're trying to do a preseason magazine right now with, with all this uncertainty, I mean, you can put you can put last year's stats in and things like that. But man alive, we don't know right now, do we, where some of these teams roster is going to be until what, Trav, mid-May? Yeah, you've got to be a next level degenerate to get down in Vegas on lines right now without knowing. You really do. Exactly. Yeah what these rosters are going to look like because we got another portal window coming up. And by the way, if Jim Harbaugh takes the job with the chargers, yes. as some are speculating, as we record this, he will, you know, Michigan's roster is going to open up for Absolutely. 30 days. So similar to what Alabama has experienced and Washington too, unfortunately, as a college football playoff um, 
participant and then with a coach on the move, you know, that that potential for Michigan still sits out there to join Alabama in Washington in that regard. But I'll tell you, I like some of those early games, oh, man. Yeah. I, yeah. You think about especially LSU and yeah. uh, SC in Vegas. Really? Uh, that, 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 that could be a lot of fun out in Las Vegas with those two teams. And, you know, you talk about LSU's defense and the need for improvement, and you got to think Lincoln Riley's going to have that SC offense, even without Caleb Williams, uh, ready to go at a pretty high level. Well, uh, and, and Texas and Texas A&M uh, on a regular basis is going to be incredible. The uh, uh, now Trav, he won't admit it necessarily, but the pressure on Kirby Smart coming to Tuscaloosa in September. Opens uh, with Clemson, right, in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. Uh, which has the potential to be intriguing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Trev, what about Texas joins the league, and then they've got Michigan early mm-hmm. in September in a game. I'm just thinking, you know, the um, – uh, Alabama and Michigan had 32 million watching, and and I think that number that everybody wants right now is at least four million. Well, I'm not saying Texas and Michigan will have 32, but boy, can't can you envision uh, maybe 15 to 20 million people excited about that game watching it? Michigan has Texas and Ann Arbor on September the 7th. And then USC in Ann Arbor on September the 21st. <laughs> Man, alive. That's yeah. Amazing. And we, because we, you know, we look at it obviously from the SEC perspective and with the addition of uh, Oklahoma and Texas. But boy, with the Big Ten going the direction it's going, going to be some really, really intriguing matchups uh, with the expanded B10 as well. So, Brent, uh, as we wrap it up here, what are we looking forward to next? Can we afford to even look a couple <laughs> weeks ahead? Do we have to maintain this sort of day-to-day, head-on-the-swivel approach? Is 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 everything calm, at least for the time being, as we move toward the start of spring practice, which, as we know, will be here before we know it? Well, uh, uh, and again, as you mentioned, uh, the Harbaugh situation just starts um, maybe a domino effect again. Uh, on where, where this is going to yeah. go. Uh, and, and I tell you, one thing that we need to look at, too, and I'm, and I'm not necessarily saying this is going to happen, uh, but I've certainly heard it, uh, is, uh, Trav, with the, the pressure on some of these coaches, uh, we've got situations right now in college football where not only the coach may be fired, but the AD may go with him. I think of Florida. When I think of that situation, potentially, um, it, it's almost in so many ways become the NFL college football, yeah. because yeah. when you have changes with head coaches in the National Football League, it isn't unusual for the general manager to go with the head coach, right. especially yeah. if that general manager was responsible for hiring said head coach. And if you've had a couple of opportunities, a couple of bites at the apple, and you haven't gotten it right, that uh, would seem to put you in a next level of jeopardy. And you talk about dominoes as it relates to coaches, but 
the the biggest change in all of this is the domino effect on the rosters now. Yes. Uh, it used to be okay. The coaches would come and go. There would be a domino effect based on coaches, but the players didn't have that freedom of movement uh, uh, years ago that they have now. Uh, and now they have it not just with coaching changes, but pretty much uh, in these various windows throughout the year. So um, it's it's just an entirely different entirely different sport than it's been uh, previous to the, the last four or five years. Um, in the land, well, it is, um, uh, to say the least. And I do want to add just a, a note or two. I still say Will Rogers was one of the more impactful quarterbacks on the SEC. Well, he is staying at Washington uh, is what we are uh, seeing now. Um, and, and nothing to keep our eye on is what is South Carolina going to do with that quarterback situation? Robbie Ashford has moved over there. They've got a kid named Lenora Sellers they like. Uh, so I, look, that we could go on and on and on about um, some different situations. But but a couple things non-SEC football related. I wanted to ask you as we go out today. Number one is. Uh, our, our folks want a pops report on <laughs> on how on how generous he was and was, on bestowing Christmas gifts uh, uh, a few weeks ago. And the other one that I followed with great interest, like you did, uh, a particular University of Alabama golfer had the weekend of his life. Uh, this past, yeah. past weekend, Trav, and I, I, I figured you could put a bow on it talking about those two things. Yeah, Pops uh, successfully turned 76 in the last month, so we were pleased with that. We got through Christmas and pretty much the new year without any incident. So Good. he has uh, been relatively calm and sedate for the most part. Uh, <laughs> Nana had a birthday recently. He really didn't come through in that oh. regard once again. Oh. Uh, just a card, you know, for a birthday. I think you got to do a little bit more than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's all he had in him. So uh, it's just typical pops. But yeah, yeah Nick Dunlap, man, 20 years old, wow. sophomore at the University of Alabama, plays in the uh, Amex event on the PGA Tour, and all he does is win. First yeah. amateur in 33 yeah. years to win on the PGA Tour. Wow. Got a decision in front of him. I think he's got to go pro. Uh, the opportunities are just. Uh, too much of the life-changing variety, and he this is what he wants to do. This is what he's worked to do. Is uh, I'm sure he loves the University of Alabama. I'm sure he loves his teammates, but everything he's put into where he's gotten to to this point has centered on a potential career on the PGA Tour, or who knows, the Live Golf Tour yeah. now, a part of things as well. So very cool story by all accounts, a very cool young person, and so you. You like to see it even more because of that. But, Brent, been a lot of fun catching up, my man. We'll do it again soon. We'll look forward to it, pal. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Also, thanks to executive producer Bill Oakley as well. And until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>